The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Once every 5,000 years, nine podcasts converge into one. And the interesting thing about that one podcast is that sometimes it's actually better the second time you listen. This is totally super. Wow, I thought you were talking about the history of Geeks Radio. I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> so, 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 like, so you got Trek off and Jared and RJ and Pop off and, and the hot mess and suck cast, and then they all converged and they became totally super. Yes, Pop-Off is Vanaheim for the purpose of my metaphor. Yes, I know. Well, I mean, you you were on half of Pop-Off, so that works out. Uh, welcome to Totally Super, where we, we, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we will be re- reviewing a movie so unpopular, it's the Thor Dark World of MCU movies. <laughs> this is... Um, a film that we're going to talk about today, whether or not it is, it is terribly maligned. We are, of course, talking about Thor The Dark World, um, which is usually tied with two other movies for the last place in people's enjoyment of the MCU. They usually say this, Iron Man 2, and The Incredible Hulk. Those are usually the ones that they go for. Um, and I think we're going to have to decide today whether or not it is it deserves that place. Um, so by the mm-hmm. end of this uh, this podcast, I would like to take a look at the 23 MCU films that exist. And we'll just sort of do a placement. We'll go from top to bottom. And uh, we'll go on a list where it is already on the bottom, is what I'd like to do. And we'll go from the top of that list and say, does it belong above such and such? And maybe we get down to the bottom and we hit Doctor Strange and we go, well, actually, we, it might be better. That, so we like maybe it deserves a better average than it gets. Or maybe we find that this film is okay, but the, the average, the median quality of MCU movies are so high that even a film this good deserves to be at the bottom because the others are just that much better. But mm-hmm. uh, today we are talking about, like I said, Thor, The Dark World, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Anthony Hopkins, Stellan Skarsgård, Idris Elba, Christopher Eccleston. Um, and it just goes further and further and further and further and further down. Directed uh, d- directed by um, Alan Taylor. Um, screenplay by Christopher Yost, Christopher uh, Marcus, and, and Stephen McFeely. Marcus and McFeely, who started on this film, I believe, and uh, continue to be sort of the writing shepherds of the MCU. Alan Taylor, of course, brought directly from Game of Thrones uh, onto this. And that is not surprising at all to hear because there is a Game of Thrones-ness about this film. So uh, so let me start with my general question that I always ask you. What is your initial... Uh, when did you initially see this film? Or if you don't remember when, uh, what was your initial impression of this film? And uh, and bring us up to the moment before you popped it in uh, just days ago. I saw it in the theater when it first came out. And um, I remember my feeling when I walked away with it was, nah, that was fine. That was pretty good. Um, I do remember being very taken by the music. I thought the music was great. Uh, I got the soundtrack for that. Um, and uh, that's really the last I thought about it until I popped it in a couple of days ago. Um, I have, you know, I have watched this film multiple times uh and most of that is a facet of having kids right i saw it in 2013 when it came out none of my kids were old enough to see it at that point then at one point my older son was was old enough to see it and and then my younger son uh they love this film because they say oh this is the film where they play portal at the end which 
is enough for them. It's enough to pull them in. That it's the, a pretty the epic film final pretty, fight. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting to try and do something else. You know, I will say we recently, um, if you haven't done this, by the way, whether or not you like Doctor Strange, um, it is consistently listed on like the top films to watch of, of the Marvel films. Ant-Man and Doctor Strange are listed as the best films to watch in 3D. Um, and mm-hmm. we have a 3D projector and we've decided since we've been stuck here at home and can't go out to movies to to watch movies in 3D. So we picked up Doctor Strange and it's astounding in 3D. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I noticed at the end of it is that Doctor Strange gives you a different visual final battle because everything's running backward than you get in other films. It's not just smashy smash. And I think mm-hmm. that Thor The Dark World does a good job of also giving you, like, we're going to do something different by using the portals. And I think that's very clever. The question, I of think course, it is, uh, it, it is uh, an oft-overlooked thing when developing uh, a good and engaging fight. Um, so much of a good fight, uh, with certain rare exceptions, but the best fights usually have a really interesting environment that they take place in. Well, um, let's delve into that a little deeper, because first, for, I, would, I would like, for those who are just joining the podcast, uh, give us, a, like, a... a a 20 second um reason why you're the person to talk to G- give us your your fight credentials um so we oh sure that the, you are uh, not just a dude st- talking out of your butt and then give us your real thoughts on this because you were someone i mean i am also far on this i am also more than most I'm also far from an industry leader in this. Uh, I've been doing fight choreography for off and on uh, in the theater for many years. Uh, I think there's only really one film that I've done. Oh, no, two films that I've done fight choreo for. The first one being Ninjas vs. Zombies, uh, helping out with that. Um, But also even from, uh, to me, I've always been very interested in uh, telling the story of a fight. Uh, And that is applied not just in fight choreography, but also throughout. uh, I've been a role player for the past 20 years. Um, One of the things I always strive for in any dungeon and dragon session that I run is making sure that the environment in which final fights happen is also uh, both visually and dramatically engaging. Uh, having the additional element of interacting with the world. If you have a world that the characters can interact with as they do combat, then what you've essentially done is added an entire other character to that combat. So regarding specifically the combat in this film, the other thing that the film seems trying very, very hard to do is to reset our expectations of um, of what Asgard is. And, and when I say that, that pertains to the combat, specifically I'm talking at this point of the, of the aerial ship-to-ship combat. Um, mm-hmm. We talked in the last podcast about how Thor redefined the borders of the Marvel Universe from a place where everything is just science to where there's magic. And we're starting to talk about maybe it's not just magic, it's aliens. Now, since then, we have had uh, most specifically the Avengers has happened. So now we're in a post-Avengers world. And now I think they're leaning even harder into the idea that, no, these are not gods. These are just super powerful aliens complete with lasers and spaceships. Um, and I think that it's it's a definite turn to go, Thor, people liked, but they didn't really know what to make of it. Maybe we can make it a little more like Star Wars in, in one aspect of its action. Make it like Portal, like you said, changing the environment in another aspect of its action. Because there's a lot of aerial action in this film, wouldn't you say? I would agree. Uh, and also, Asgard is definitively more sci-fi in this film. Uh, the, phrase that is, the phrase I've always liked when specifically referring to Star Wars... Uh, is that Star Wars is not science fiction. It is galactic fantasy. And this film, I think, 
think also falls into that category. It is definitively galactic fantasy. Well, actually, I take that back. There is actually a little bit more sci-fi to it than in Star Wars because they talk so much about the convergence and gravitational anomalies and... Like, science is actually talked about in the abstract here more than it is in Star Wars. So if I, I would have to say maybe it's a hybrid between sci-fi and galactic fantasy. I think the word hybrid is, is a decent way to describe this film and maybe the problems with it. Uh, because while it is galactic fantasy in the fight, then you get to all the Asgard stuff. And clearly this is meant to be medieval drama. It's, they're really going for Game of Thrones here. In between, everything looks sort of that way. Everyone's dressed mm-hmm. that way. It's, you know, these these people are, are, are very clearly supposed to be, they would be at home in one of the realms of Game of Thrones. Um, yes. And yet we're also going for funny Thor on Earth comedy at the same time. And in the midst of all that, they're, they're spending a good, you know, in this two hour film, 112 minutes, not even two hours. Uh, they're spending a good 20 minutes setting up Infinity Stone stuff. So mm-hmm. I think what you end up with is a film that you could say feels a little disjointed. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to talk about one of the ways that this film significantly falls down. Um, but let's talk about the let, let's talk about the plot. If you could do me a favor. Uh, actually, before we do that, let me give you the stats and then we'll go into uh, go into our plot synopsis stats on this film. This film came out on October 22nd, 2013 in England and the United States, November, November 8th, 2013. Um, the budget of this film was one hundred and seventy million dollars, meaning that, that it needed to make three hundred and forty million to make its budget back. Its box office was six hundred and forty four point eight million dollars. Clearly a success. It is consistently listed at the bottom um it has a 66 percent on rotten tomatoes not that that means anything which puts it at the very bottom of all of the mcu films on uh on rotten tomatoes jeez what it, does that uh, say wh- if the worst film in your franchise is still getting 66 percent it's still a sort of it's still a certified fresh film it's not certified fresh sorry it's fresh mm-hmm. it's almost certified yeah. fresh. um yeah that means that 66 percent of the re- reviewers kind of liked it um uh, it is um, the film that that I think started to necessitate films like Guardians of the Galaxy, because keep in mind, this was followed by Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and then you start to have your idea of of where the of where the film is going uh, to go it was the 10th highest grossing film of 2013. Um, and uh, and that is sort of the stats on on this film, a a middling success for marvel which is would be an enormous like success for any other film so by no means is this film a failure uh but it is um it's problematic in that you know marvel wants to make a billion dollars now so uh but in its defense its budget was 170 million and to put that next to avengers infinity war and endgame which together cost a billion dollars so so that it's you know there are pluses and minuses there but by no means is this film a failure but what is this film arthur sir could we please have a plot all right thor the dark world in ancient times a great war was fought between the asgardians and an evil race called the dark elves who sought to use a weapon called the ether to snuff out all light in the universe the asgardians were victorious driving the dark elves into hiding and burying the ether away where it would never be found flash forward to the present day shortly after the battle of new york in the first avengers film thor and his warrior companions are roving through the nine realms seeking to calm the chaos that erupted when the rainbow bridge was destroyed at the end of the first Thor. 
By the way, the Rainbow Bridge is back. How? I don't know. Magic, maybe. Also, Loki, meanwhile, is kept prisoner in Asgard's dungeons. When Thor is not smashing enemies to bring peace, he is gazing off wistfully into the stars, thinking of Jane Foster. Meanwhile, Jane and her science crew continue investigating weird things on Earth, while Jane also wistfully thinks of Thor. She discovers an anomaly in an abandoned building that teleports her to another world, a dark world. There, in a peak of narrative convenience, she encounters the Aether, which leaps into her body before she returns to Earth. Sensing that something is wrong, Thor finally takes the Bifrost to Earth to check on her. When he determines that she is carrying some kind of dark power, he whisks her away to Asgard for further study, where they discover that the Aether will eventually consume her. Meanwhile, the Dark Elves, led by an elf named Malekith, have been alerted to the Aether's reawakening. They attack Asgard in an attempt to get to it. Although unsuccessful, the elves slay Frigga, mother to Thor and Loki, who dies protecting Jane. Thor wishes to take Jane to the Dark World directly, so as to lure Malekith to him, and also to find a way to save Jane. But Odin forbids it, saying that she must remain in Asgard. Thor disobeys his father, but since he cannot use the Rainbow Bridge to leave Asgard, he enlists the help of his companions to free Loki, who knows of the secret ways. Thor, Loki, and Jane escape to the Dark World. There, they meet with Malekith and his warriors. Thor and Loki try to work together, using trickery to destroy the Aether. But though they are successful in having Malekith suck the Aether out of Jane, saving her, they fail to destroy it. Malekith takes the Aether and departs, leaving Thor and Loki to do battle with his cursed and uber-powerful henchmen. They fight. The henchman is slain, but Loki is dealt a fatal blow. He dies in Thor's arms. Thor and Jane manage to find another dimensional portal to Earth, where they realize Malekith is heading. You see, Earth is the center of the Convergence, a once-every-5,000-years event when the Nine Realms align, which has been causing the anomalies that Jane was studying. Malekith intends to use the power of the Convergence and the Aether to snuff out all light in the universe, just as he tried 5,000 years before. Thor and Jane enlist the help of Dr. Eric Selvig, who, after having his mind possessed by Loki and the Avengers, has been spending much of the movie running around Stonehenge naked. However, he has also managed to develop some kind of gravity spikes that allow them to control when and how the dimensional anomalies occur. Meanwhile, there is a brief scene in which a guard approaches Odin on his throne to tell him that they went to the Dark World and they found a body, presumably of Loki. Back on Earth, Malekith arrives in Greenwich, England. While Jane's science team use their gravity spikes to deal with Malekith's army, Thor and Malekith have a titanic battle that carries them not just across Earth, but also through dimensions into the other nine realms. Finally, just as it seems all hope is lost, Thor uses the combined power of the gravity spikes and Mjolnir to send Malekith back to the Dark World, where he is crushed by his own falling spaceship. The, the movie finishes with Thor standing in Odin's throne room. Odin ta tacitly forgives his son for his treason, and there is a nice father-son moment share. Thor leaves, but then the image of Odin shimmers away to reveal that, oh my goodness, it's Loki who must have tricked Thor into thinking he died, but then came back and did something to Odin so that he could have the throne. Wow, what a twist! Fiend. I wonder if that twist will be dealt with in the next film, in the most hilarious way possible. In the most hilarious of ways. Um, so the first thing that, that comes to mind when you give that, it was really long. That was really long. And it's not because you are a person who writes really long things. That is a, a huge, huge amount of stuff that happens in a film. And I think that is one of the issues with this film. Um, in that there is just sort of this you have dealing with what happened in the film before as a sequel does to try to wrap up the thing from the last episode um while also trying to bring forth the characters from the avengers while also setting up more like i said before there's it's so crammed filled and then it's trying to introduce new ideas 
I'm going to put it right out there that that most of what I like about this film are the new ideas that it has. And most of what I dislike about this film relates to the sloppy way that it is connecting to the other films. And I think this is something we talked about when we talked about uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Because that's a film that I like very much and that I like more and more every time I watch it. But where it is clumsy is when it's trying to connect to all the other stories out there about about Infinity Stones. I'm curious. You mentioned that it ta- you mentioned that this film spends 20 minutes talking about the Infinity Stones. But really, the only scene that to me looked like they were specifically referencing other Marvel films that they were setting up was the post credit scene. To me, everything else so in this he- film did kind of direct directly relate to what was going on in it. So, OK, so here's here's specifically what I'm talking about when it comes to it's connecting to the Avengers film before and after it um one dr selvig uh it's a funny idea what they have him do as a result of avengers but it feels more like they're trying to deal with what happened to him in a film that's not this film and i don't see how he was very needed for this film it felt like he was shoved in but they're trying to it feels like they're they they had a bunch of boxes they felt they needed to check for both what came before and what came after and that this film spent so much time doing that you have that you have the you have the ether specifically uh, being once again, and this is a this is not just a Thor problem, but it really is a phase one, phase two problem, which is just everyone's after jewelry of some kind um, mm-hmm. or something. There's a there there is constant MacGuffin. You know there there are in, you know infinite amount of wayfinders. We're looking at you, Rise of Skywalker. Um, where it's just like there's a thing that everyone wants, you know, and this Maltese Falcon is just too much of of that in this film where everyone wants the ether. And I don't know why or what it does, except that, you know, if you have it and you get mad, it makes everybody kind of burst out away from you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the convergence alone would have been an interesting thing. And I think the return of the Dark Elves alone and the feeling that they were they were a disenfranchised race would have been its own interesting thing. And I think the Loki thing alone would have been its own interesting thing. And I think the introduction of the Ether plus its connection to plus the connections back to the Avengers films, you know, that is is a bridge too far for me, a rainbow bridge too far for me. Um, and I feel like that is largely the the feeling I have is that the film is between that and tying back to the, to the original Thor, the fact that the Rainbow Bridge is just like you said, the Rainbow Bridge is broken and it's back somehow, but still Thor is pining for the girl he can't see as if the Rainbow Bridge was not back. And they are they are cleaning up the nine worlds and people have a moment on their world to go like, and you stay here on this world, which is totally ignored in the next Thor movie. Um, and all, all of this, all of this that, that is happening seems too much tied to the films that come before and after it and not enough tied into this film trying to tell the best Thor story it can. Does that make sense? I suppose so. Uh, my biggest takeaway watching this the second time was actually a, wow, this, why did people hate this so much? Um, I certainly... And I think I have a I, I think I have a far simpler answer to that than than you do. Um, although I agree with you that yes, this did. And to give this film some credit, it was also after Avengers, where pretty much, like after Avengers, 
Marvel was like, well, okay, every film that we make needs to be truly connected to the MCU, so let's figure out how best to do that. And both Thor Dark World and uh, and Avengers Age of Ultron suffered from them trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, poor Thor Dark World was literally the first film after Avengers, if I remember. And, I mean, and also, after the mad success, both box office-wise as well as story-wise, that Avengers was, I mean, I pity anyone who has to follow that. Uh, so, uh, so that was something that was on my mind. Um, but there was a lot, to me, I think the plot actually, it flowed, one thing moved to the next, which moved to the next. Um, it's funny that you said that this plot was really long, because this plot actually, when I'm going back and looking at uh, this plot that I wrote, this plot synopsis that I wrote, is only 75% of the length of the plot synopsis that I wrote for the original Thor, which somehow felt like a far smaller movie. Like, actually, one of the things that I enjoyed about Dark World, um, one of the problems that has often been talked about with Thor, which we both kind of agreed with, was when it's an Asgard, it's fantastic. Once you got down to Earth, it just felt smaller. And I would actually agree that this was also the case with Thor Dark World. The difference is, we actually spent less time on Earth and more time with the fantasticness of Asgard and, and other worlds. Um, so to me, Thor the Dark World was bigger. But seeing no, as how one of my issues... Yeah, one, one of my issues with Thor, the original, was that it felt somehow small. I actually liked the fact that it that it got bigger. No, I, I do like the fact that it got built bigger. My issue, I guess, is that, you know, much like, you know, and I, I it must seem like I never eat because I use the buffet analogy a lot. Um, but this is once again a, a buffet where ultimately there's enough good stuff and enough okay stuff that I never get anything that I'm terribly satisfied with on its own. So for instance, Chris Hemsworth is good, but he's not as good as he was in Avengers or in Ragnarok or it's, you know, and maybe even in the first Thor, I like him the least in this. Natalie Portman seems checked out. She's okay, but she seems a little checked out. Um, Tom Hiddleston is always game. And when we talk about villains uh, on next week's show, I think that he's going to be something we talk about. Anthony Hopkins, also a little more checked out, but I like him, but he's not in it a whole lot. And Tom Hiddleston is out of it for large chunks of this. Stellan mm -hmm. Skarsgård is, is not as interesting as he was ever. And in this film, he is he is just like a cartoon character. I don't even understand what they're doing. Idris Elba is good, but not in it very much. Christopher Eccleston is okay with what he has to do, but not in it very much. We just go through the list. Kat Dennings is in it, but not in it very much. There's Zachary Levi. Shazam himself is in there, but not in it very much. And I just feel like Jamie Alexander is Sif. And I, I can go through the list and I go, here is a, like... Everybody has a little moment in this film. Nobody, if this cast and plot was cut by a third and you were to reallocate the time that you gave to the extra cast members and the extra plot to the remaining cast members and plot, I, I could do without having seen Stellan Skarsgård. I could do without having seen Kat Dennings. Um, or even Jamie Alexander, who I love, or without Thor's mom, if it meant I could have a little more time with, with Tom Hiddleston, if it meant I could have a little more time with Idris Elba, I if would, it meant that Natalie Portman... So, I would I agree with that. that. It, it does, 100%. And in fact, one of, the, one of the marks frequently in general of a good film is something where there is literally nothing needless. Everything serves uh, the central concept well. Um, however... I feel it's worth noting that when it comes That's to superhero films, no, go ahead. yeah, haha. <laughs> uh, when it comes to superhero films, including superhero films that I have given five stars to, uh, one of the hallmarks of what makes a great superhero film great is almost never, boy, you know what? There wasn't much needless in this film, uh, including Endgame, Infinity War, great films that I absolutely loved. I don't. I am hard pressed to think 
of a superhero film that could not have been made possibly better by removing 15 minutes from it. Uh, that's something about the superhero genre, is that the goal is to make something epic, which means that you're going to run a much higher risk of you tend to err more on the side of keep more in than take things out whereas if it were an indie drama you could probably an indie drama you can get down to an hour 20 that is just a just a straight start to finish everything serves a very specific point everything's this nice tight little package you could do that in a superhero film uh, but it is a lot harder to do that in a superhero film and at the same time maintain the essential goal of giving people an epic and thrilling experience and I, I agree with you to to I, I mean I, I actually agree with everything you have to say I just don't think this film exemplifies some of those things you know there there are superhero films where they're, they're, like certainly Infinity War has a certain amount of bloat to it and that's that's a fair statement there's stuff about infinity war that i that i don't like i feel like um hulk's arc in infinity war for instance is is stupid and wasted the the idea that hulk won't come out it, it seems like somebody said we got to give banner something to do so let's mm-hmm. give him this um it seems like a brainstormed idea like oh banner's not what do we got to give him not that not to serve the story but just because you got to give him something so mm-hmm. I feel like this film is filled with those. So uh, uh, Natalie Portman's, uh, you know, failed to date. You know, what's his name from the IT crowd? Like mm-hmm. that, that watching yeah. that guy come back over and over again. Darcy having her own intern. Let's get, mm-hmm. oh, we got to give Darcy something to do. How about this? You know, the uh, Selvig, we got to give him something to do. How about this? Ooh, there's jealousy between, between Sif and it, it, it's just like the, the whole thing comes down to I feel like everyone's being given these these very tropey, um, almost rote character choices to quote unquote give them something to do. And it ultimately mm-hmm. feels like, you know, it feels like there's a really good burger in there, but I'm getting a lot of bread. Um, and that's the stuff that I would I would cut. I don't think that Infinity War would have been made better by finding out that that I don't know. Let's let's I, let me throw out an idea by 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 finding out that Pepper Potts has a has a new assistant that may or may not work out. You know, mm-hmm. like I think I didn't need that. Yeah. in that film. Um, well, so what were uh, so in terms of uh, good thing? Like, what were some things in terms of uh, plot or general construction of the film that jumped out at you as things that you really enjoyed? Sure, and that's the thing. It's it's easy to pick apart the problems with this film because they are they are glaring problems but there is a good burger in there and i will tell you again i must do it by necessarily comparing it to the other films specifically thor there is when you get past the stuff that makes me roll my eyes you have a very kinetic film um a film that is a galactic travelogue which i enjoy that part um a film that when it comes time to the to the action scenes my big problem with thor is is who gives a crap if thor is fighting a giant robot in a deserted town, right? Nobody cares about mm-hmm. that. Instead, you have a Star Wars style space battle with with you know ships are moving and, and crashing and 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 it's just very fast and kinetic. And that's you know when you have a character specifically a character who can fly. And I was thinking this about um, I remember when I first saw of all things Matrix Revolutions, which has its own problems. One of the things I thought. And I don't know if we'll ever do The Matrix. That'll be an interesting question whether or not we should ever do that. Um, when I got to the end of The Matrix Revolutions, I was like, holy crap, they can do they can do a Superman movie now. Because yeah, they can that was do exactly now. what I thought. Um, and now you you got a character who flies with a hammer. The ships fly. They like 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 things are constantly moving quickly <coughs> through the air. 
And this is, I, I don't want Thor walking down the street. <coughs> I want him flying around. I want ships flying around. This is something that you have not gotten, especially at this point. You've got some Iron Man flying, but you haven't really gotten this, um, except for the, like, the parts of the end of Avengers so far in Marvel. And this is so fun. Um, I love speed in action films, and it mm-hmm. uses it so very, very well. Um, I think that this is going to seem like a stupid thing. I think that the costumes... Um, specifically the Asgardian costumes are so much more down to earth than they were that it brings a, it brings a, 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 is naturalness a word to, uh, to Asgard for me that I really, I really liked how Asgard felt like a place where people lived, not an interesting, shiny place, CG shiny place where everybody had funny costumes. This felt like a place where people lived um, in this movie that I really liked. Um, Mm -hmm. While I hate what they do with uh with the plot of darcy um i am i am feeling as much as i love and i don't think darcy's needed in thor ragnarok but i miss darcy like if i found out there was a darcy series i would be so into that or if darcy showed up in another series i love what kat dennings does with that character and i still Mm -hmm. love her in this film and then yeah um uh tom hiddleston and and specifically loki um pretending he's not grieving and then the way that they have him grieve, I think that is that that's very effective in this film. So I think that there are things that are good. I do have to call out one nitpick um, as a filmmaker, if you'll if you'll excuse me, and then I'll I'll, let, I'll ask you the same question back. And the nitpick mm-hmm. is this: when I say this film feels like they're just stitching it together, and it's just like a whole bunch of stuff they're putting together. There is a shot early on in the film when the ether has enveloped. Uh, Natalie Portman and why I keep calling her Natalie Portman let's just call her name as Jane Foster um, and you see her floating there in the ether and in that shot she is wearing the Asgardian armor outfit that they put on her later in the film and this is before she has that outfit on and it was clear oh. that they were just like we need a like because that that is a it, it's something that happens to her later and I think it's it's a shot taken right from when Malekith is like pulling stuff out of her at the end of the film um, and I, I felt like I, I see that shot. And I, I go, Oh, they just need to remind us that she's in danger. So they took a shot and hoped no one would notice. And it is so distracting for me. And it also is, it's not only distracting for me, but to get that shot would have taken a half a day in a green screen studio with her in regular clothes. And then they can put some CGI around it. And it, it, it is, I don't know why that of all things sticks out to me as, as part of the hodgepodge nature of this film. But I, for instance, a film, we've, film I think we've already talked about, um, I just watched the first X-Men about a week ago. And there's a moment in that film where when, uh, when Senator Kelly first sees Toad, he goes, Bleh! like that. And I was like, why? Would, who, who saw that? Who heard that sound? And I was like, yeah, we'll keep it. That sounds great. And again, I wonder who saw this film, knowing... When my films go into QC, people look at every single frame of the film. Somebody saw that and somebody because the QC people are are crazy OCD. I'm what are you the, what scene are you talking about? The 
so Jane's enveloped by the she's enveloped so by the So there's a point are where you... are you, so so when she's first captured by the ether and you see that she's sick with the ether and they they are they cut back a couple of times to her like floating in the ether like oh as the ether has her and it's it's probably in the first third of the film before she ever gets into Asgard um once she's been like sort of taken by the ether it's just a cutaway it's a it's like a, a 10 second cutaway where she's sort of floating there and and she is already in the Asgardian armor that she has not yet put on. Mm. Um, and it's just sort of it's one of those you know reminding you that she's having problems right now. Shots and it's just one of those things that it, that that goes. They were like ah this is good enough and stuff like that just sticks out to me. And I know it's stupid, but I it's something I think about the film every time I see the film. So if I'm going to review the film, I got to talk about it. But um, yes, there are lots I like about the film. And keep in mind. Nothing, with the exception of what they do is sell, with Selvig and even Malekith, what we're going to talk about talk about later. Nothing is is catastrophic. Nothing is, as my favorite word, is unforgivable. It's just, it's too much bread is the best way I can describe it. But the stuff inside, still, there's still good stuff there. The pieces are are still good. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's not hitting it for me. Okay, you 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 same question back to you. What are some things that you like about the film, and what are some criticisms that you would have of it? Uh, well, the first things I'd say about it is I uh, I really actually liked how they developed Thor and Loki. Um, I actually feel that the they do more with Loki's character and his inner uh, and his inner workings as well as the relationship between Thor and Loki here than they actually do in the first film. Because um, when I think back to the first film, it's Thor and Loki are kind of friends at the beginning, but then Loki finds out that he's a frost giant son and then decides that he hates everything. But actually, as it turns out, he kind of hated anything to begin with because he let the Frost Giants in. And like, it's... It, it doesn't really... I mean, it, it. don't get me wrong, it was good in the first film, but with this one, there's just a... There's a more organic nature to everything. Exploring Loki's relationship to his mother, uh, for the both of them, actually, and then how that affects their, uh, their own relationship. Um, the scene, pretty much the entire scene from them, from Thor getting Loki out of of prison uh, all the way through the escape to them being on the ship on their way to the dark world uh, to Loki quote unquote dying in Thor, Thor's arms uh, was riveting because you never quite the whole theme of I don't know if I can trust you continuously coming up and uh, it really Loki works best when at no point are you sure who's whether or not he's he's doing right by somebody else uh, Loki is best when you really when you're 90% sure that you can kind of trust him but you never can really. Uh, so I loved that relationship. I thought the dialogue in this was very good. Um, a lot of it jumped out at me, especially in Asgard. Uh, there were some uh, there were some very beautiful in a Game of Thrones style uh, lines delivered. I think there was when Thor went down to Loki's prison and Loki said uh, and Loki said, oh brother, have you come so that we can share our grief? And Thor says, no, I actually offer you a much richer sacrament, uh, meaning revenge. I was like, that is a that is a eloquent and poetic way of saying when somebody else could have written actually how would you like a spot at how would you like a shot at revenge uh you know other things the uh i loved starting with the generic line of thor and loki and thor is saying you know mother wouldn't want us to fight and then loki just in that wonderful tom hiddleston way and he said well she wouldn't exactly be shocked uh which then led into an actual like a moment of camaraderie for the, the brothers which then led into i wish i could trust you uh, which was a wonderful, like, open and vulnerable moment, which then led into Loki saying, trust my rage, which is a, I mean, that's a great, just, uh, you know, as lines go, that's, you know, those are some, me that's a meaty dialogue there. Uh, I really liked that a lot. I thought the, I agree with you, the aerial combat was fantastic. I loved the escape from Asgard. 
not just because of all the aerial stuff that was going on, but I felt like Thor's companions uh, really got more chance to show off their own characters here. The way that scene is uh, edited too is 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 yeah. it's so neat that they're it's talking showing... about the plan as we're watching the plan happen, mm-hmm. and, and we're seeing the different ways that each of the that each of the characters is helping um, is helping them out. It's a very it's a very swashbuckler kind of escape, uh, and I really enjoyed that. Um, let's see the I liked the final fight. There were there were parts of the final fight that I, I felt the very end to it was a little anticlimactic, but again, I loved their use of essentially quote unquote portal tech just to give us something interesting to to watch other than just people smashing each other in Greenwich. Um, there were a couple issues I had with the with the overall story uh, that didn't have to do with bloat, which you know, bloat and hybridization, which we've talked about. Uh, Jane was kind of damseled in this. A lot of the film was about, oh no, we need to save Jane Foster. Um, and I mean, yes, she had some agency at the end by using the gravity spikes, but really that was Dr. Selvig's plan. Uh, so it actually would have been, if Jane had been working on those gravity spikes and she had come up with the idea, then I always prefer it if the quote unquote damsel in the end ends up being the agent of their own salvation. Uh, one good thing also I will throw out, uh, Rene Russo, uh, as Frigga. What a wonderful character addition. Uh, really loved her um and her her time in the film is unfortunately short uh for reasons which actually brings up a, an interesting question i was watching and as friga got killed i was thinking okay does it is it the same kind of fridging if the woman who's killed is the character's mother and not their love interest uh because it had a on the surface it sort of had a quote-unquote fridging feel to it in the sense like oh this woman got killed and then you know in order to emotionally motivate the two major characters thor and loki on the other hand uh it was not you know she had she had total agency throughout the entire thing uh and also it just there's a different when it's a mother's death instead of a lover's there's just a profoundly different quality to the emotional taste of the scene uh what do you think on that i'm gonna say it's not fridging and i will say this uh, the reason why fridging is about brutalizing and murdering a woman to motivate a male character this is a warrior woman lost in a fight um and i think there's a big difference you know Mm. She wasn't she wasn't kidnapped, tied up, you know, you know, Martha'd for lack of a better term, and then raped and murdered, right? That's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Is is Malachus showed up and then she used her considerable power to battle him and mm-hmm. lost that battle. Um but I did, you know, if he had captured her and then she was like, please save me. And then he, you know, blasts her in the head. That's fridging. Mm-hmm. But this feels very much like, you know, you know, she is the only other than Jane. She is the only character with whom Thor has a a connection. Um, And, and, and frankly, I feel like both uh, Heimdall and both Heimdall and Loki are fridged in Infinity War. And that is what Agreed. fridging is. Yeah, that is what fridging is, you know. It's yes, Loki also has agency, but the difference is is that you get to watch Thanos brutally murder him. And that is what motivates you to side with the with Thor's plight, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know she wasn't brutally murdered; she fought it in in deathly battle and she lost. You know you didn't yeah. see and also him and her death her wasn't pain, just I think. Um, yeah, and also her death wasn't just emotional. It didn't just like heighten the emotional stakes. It actually it was because of her death that Thor was able to enlist Loki. Like it actually had a yeah. crucial plot element to it. It wasn't just like oh now he really cares. Well, I think this is a good. I think this is a good point to uh to bring us to a close for this week um as we're just starting to delve into the characters of course 
course, next week, as we often do in our two-part uh, episodes, we're going to go character by character through the Thor film and then ask, uh, ask a very important question, uh, what makes a good villain and what makes a bad one? Um, and then finally, our final reviews and thoughts on Thor The Dark World. But for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. 